This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our guest today, Mr. Lock Kelly, back on the show. He is an author, meditation teacher, psychotherapist, and founder of Open Hearted Awareness Institute. Locke, thank you so very much for coming back on with us. Well, thank you both so much. It's so great to be here and uh, look forward to our dialogue and hope everyone else enjoys it as well. Great, Locke. Um, the the uh, occasion for inviting you back on the show is the release of your new book, yes. The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, yes. uh, subtitled The Revolutionary Guide for Living an Awakened Life. So um, normally we ask people to tell us about their personal spiritual paths and their uh, spiritual history, but since we did that the first time you were on, people can go to that and hear both interviews. Let's jump right into your new book. Okay. Um, you have the term mindfulness in your title. Yeah. In my experience, the last few years, there's a <laughs> in the popular culture, there's uh, uh, an abundance of references to mindfulness many of which contradict each other. Yes. And so uh, let's begin by asking you what you mean by mindfulness and how you define it. Then we'll get into your book. Sure. <clears throat> so this is a very unique form of mindfulness. Um, mindfulness in general, I think the simplest way to describe it might be a connection from whatever level of mind or identity you're in to who or what you're related to in a, con in a conscious way. So <clears throat> the opposite, obviously, would be mindless or <laughs> <laughs> unconscious <laughs> or um, distracted or, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, delusional or... or uh, uh, some kind of um, spaced out. So mindfulness um, means attending and relating, I think, in its best usage. I mean, the, the actual Pali word uh, sati, that's translated as mindfulness, means remembering. And what that means is remembering to return when you your attention wanders so you remember to come back and i like almost the feeling of remember meaning kind of re-embody or reconnect to the members of the different dimensions of the world so that's my own uh kind of definition um of mindfulness in general uh, but this uh, form is unique. It's called effortless mindfulness. And the first unique thing would be that it's attending from a different level of mind. So rather than the everyday chattering mind or our ego mind or even uh, a meditational mindful witness or even a no self witness, it's it's attending from um, more of what you might call unity consciousness or a sense of interconnected loving presence or what's called origin of mind or uh, 
maybe in um, Turiatita in in uh, in uh, Sanskrit, uh, Rigpa in Tibetan. So it really is a shift of mind and a shift of identity to a more interconnected uh, universal mind from which then mindfulness means uh, kind of a tantric interconnected realization of being aware from the non-local and the local mind. Right, if I could inter interrupt you, Locke, so yes. it's becoming a bit abstract. I, I think I'm following you, but you, you, you talk about deliberate, and, and now what we're talking about is uh, effortless mindfulness. Uh, you say yes. both are valuable, although it seems like you lean in the direction of the effortless. Uh, yes, and that's right. When, so what you're saying, as I understand it, is in effortless mindfulness, you are you have to connect with, I don't know if I'm using the right word, or be in that aware, awareness of awareness, that pure awareness and uh, be mindful from there. Uh, and my question would be, how do you get to that spot? Uh, right. How do you get to that spot so that you can have mindfulness from that level, as opposed right. to what you would do in deliberate <laughs> mindfulness? So that, that, that was my question, too, and uh, that's been kind of my 40-year journey to answer that question, how do you become aware of awareness? And right. it is certainly the main subject of the book. So the book is... You know, I started out, as you said, saying abstract, but basically it's trying to describe something in words without the direct experience. So, <clears throat> and something that's beyond words. So the, <clears throat> the unique uh, form of practice of effortless mindfulness is not that it takes no effort, but that <clears throat> the awareness that's identified or attached to our thinking can literally unhook or drop or detach and open experientially. So it feels like it's dropping from head to heart and knowing directly from our heart mind or opening from being identified with a thinker to feel like it opens to the space in the room and then opens to a field of awareness that's both outside and inside. And so I, <clears throat> the whole book is literally that premise uh, and then it's really a guidebook on how to do it. Mm -hmm. So to, to clarify uh, another step further for sure. the sake of our listeners, a lot of what I see uh, being referenced in terms of mindfulness practice and popular literature and all that, really, when you think of it, uh, amounts to just attending to a sensory experience. Yes, that's right. And, and that always strikes me when I read it as a, a, almost a trivialization of uh, the deeper practices that come from the, the Buddhist and the Vedic traditions. Um, and... Um, but you're pointing to something more than attend to your uh, sensory experience or attend to your thoughts, uh, ordinary thoughts. You're pointing to a different kind of consciousness. Is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely true. So 
Um, and we can, you know, as we go along here, I'm glad to do a couple little pointers or shifts of awareness. Uh, so, yeah, the in in Buddhism and I think in most uh, practices of yoga, um, they, we begin with kind of uh, the small mind and the small self and our bodies by trying to get them uh, to focus on from being totally identified with our thoughts to being able to observe the contents of consciousness. So that's that's usually the two main moves in Buddhism. The two main practices are shamatha or calming and focusing on breath and on a practice like loving kindness to calm and soothe. And then the second practice of uh, the four foundations of mindfulness, it's actually called, is to look at the contents of consciousness, thoughts, feelings of pleasant and unpleasant, um, sensations, and what are called mind objects, which are kind of patterns. So that's looking from a mindful witness at contents. And so the first unique move of effortless mindfulness is to be curious who's behind the camera, who's behind, if you look through the meditator, behind that point of view that's looking at contents, what is it that's aware, what's the awareness like that's aware of thoughts? So it's literally turning awareness around to feel what or where are you aware from. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, and a follow-up question: uh, you, w When you say effortless, when I used to teach TM courses, yes. uh, we would say it's eff it's a natural effortless technique, and <clears throat> and I'm, I was never really sure if it was really effortless, but uh, mostly effortless. But uh, if something is effortless, like effortless mindfulness, why does yeah. it have to be learned? Why isn't it there already structured into the conscious functioning of the human mind why does it is it something that has to be taught or uh or understood or come to through a teacher or through a book or some instruction sure that makes that's a great question yeah so there's two two ways the word effortless is being used one like you're saying is there is the premise is there's already a, an effortless awareness that's here but we're not operating from it. We're not right. aware from it. So that's where actually it isn't that it takes no effort to uh, let go of the other system or shift out of it into the effortless, but that when you do shift in a simple, um, <clears throat> small, immediate, direct inquiry style uh, effort, um, you discover that you can be aware from an effortless awareness. You don't have to concentrate and um, be um, be mentally uh, sustaining. Very good. Um, Rock, along those same lines, I too uh, was trained back in the day to teach uh, TM, and it was always a very important <clears throat> A point 
to uh, emphasize that effortlessness. And it was really to distinguish forms of practice that uh, require uh, a sustained effort to focus or concentrate or control yes. the mind. Yes. And are you making a similar distinction? Yes, I would say that they're, they're in the, the, the effortless, in the discovery of effortless awareness, which is, sounds like the same goal in TM, Mm -hmm. um, and I also started with TM at 16 as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, there's what I call the resting method and the looking method. Ah. So the resting method would be just like a Zen saying, um, muddy, muddy water, let stand, becomes clear. So right. that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of a effortless from a... Right. A sitting or a resting method and then there's uh, the inquiry method or the looking method where you actually uh, go to the place that you're efforting from and you inquire into or look back through that or unhook awareness from that and then drop or open into the effortless awareness which then is aware of that that the the observer has become the observed so when you say if i may dennis um you say shift or letting go into yes. that implies uh, a kind of letting go that's the opposite of trying to do something right yes so so this is this is probably one of the you know, most interesting things is what is that word that's used? Right. In, you know, surrender, let go, disidentify, turn it over. Like what, what's that? That's where I became curious. What's letting go? Who's letting go? <laughs> right. What's, tur what's turned over? What's surrendered? Who surrendered? And then even maybe importantly, what is it surrendering into? And what is it letting go into uh because you can get caught in a gap like of of you know not knowing halfway in between and kind of uh deconstruct the ego and then research has shown that if you just deconstruct uh people get flooded by the unconscious because you haven't shifted from the old operating system and let go into the new and that's one of the things i discovered and and you know try to help people uh distinguish what that feels like mm -hmm. uh, mm. lock uh in your uh, on your website and by the way for our listeners it's lockkelly.org a lot of information uh you have a quote that says when we realize that who we are is formless awareness we begin to lose the fear of death uh, i don't understand that because uh um formless awareness having nothing but formless awareness, to me, is no different than being obliterated. So, uh, because yes. there is no... So, I, I'm sure I'm misunderstanding it, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate in this. Sure. Uh, explain it, that to me, uh, so I, I can help deal with the fear of death. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, so now, can you... If you're, are you looking at the quote? Because there's, yes. there's two more lines, aren't yes. there? Yes, and I'll read that. Okay. When as so this that, formless awareness... Uh, when, as this formless awareness, we realize we are also physical form, we begin to lose the fear of life. That I, uh, is more understandable to me in the first <laughs> sentence. 
<laughs> and then the third one? That's all I have. Oh, it, uh, it, the third one is, I think, when we realize that uh, we're both form and formlessness uh, interconnected with everyone and everything, we lose the, the fear of love. The fear of love, you say? Yes. So the fear of love, you know, which means the fear of love and the loss of love and mm -hmm. the ah. search for love. and the, So it's the fear of what goes around. I'm not getting loves, you know, just as the right. fear of death and the fear of life are, you know, always two-sided. So um, there's some fear, which is kind of that longing or fear of love. So, so yeah, so the first you know, in this kind of fullness of awakening, um, there's kind of a waking up from that small separate sense of self to this gap of not knowing and then to a kind of pure awareness, uh, kind of turiya or rigpa or um, transcendent, uh, you know, awareness. Mm -hmm. But that's just in some some systems will stop there and then kind of look back and call everything else illusion or uh, but that's just to kind of unplug and plug into um, the spirit or the uh, universal consciousness. And then the recognition of that, the next shift is the realization that it's something greater than you and yet is kind of the ground of who you are. And then there's a feeling of, from the pure awareness, everything that moves, energy, thoughts, feelings, uh, patterns, is made of that awareness. So that's the non-dual um, experience mm -hmm. of interconnectedness and embodiment. Right. And then you feel that you're both transcendent and imminent. And I was very pleased that in your uh, book and on your website that um, your take on non-duality yes. uh, is not one of negating no. the, our, our human embodied existence or the conditions that we find ourselves in the world, but you're using uh, that uh, non-dual awareness as a, as a sort of foundation for more effective action, which is what I would uh, do if I were writing such a book. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad, I'm glad we're, we're all together. Yes, because that is, I think, one of the, you know, in the modern world of def defining non-dual, in Buddhism, uh, non-duality is called the two truths. So the one truth is there is a transcendent pure awareness, and another is there is a relative reality, and the, and the non-dual is there are not two. Right. So, so it's more of a tantric. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Every everything is sacred. It's all appearing, made of awareness. But form form is emptiness. But then emptiness is form. Right. Right. Uh, Locke, who was or who were maybe it's plural the the big influences on you? Yeah. So so this is yeah. There's a. <clears throat> I I went uh, from from. Uh, reading books on Zen and going to a Zen retreat to uh, at, at like 14 to um, TM at 16 and then uh, going 
in graduate school to a fellowship to Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal. Mm -hmm. And there I went, uh, did these 10-day retreats and five-day retreats and one 21-day retreat in, in Vipassana or insight meditation, mm -hmm. which is what I call deliberate mindfulness. <coughs> and, you know, enjoyed them um, and then went up uh, north through India, met B. Griffiths. Uh, oh, great. And went to Ramana Ashram. Mm -hmm. And then up to uh, meet a teacher who I heard about, Toku Ergen Rinpoche, uh, who was teaching Dzogchen to anybody who asked, which is kind of a direct path Buddhist uh, practice. And the first day I was there, within three minutes, he gave a little pointing out instruction that I felt uh, the same way after three minutes that I did after a 10-day retreat. Oh. Except my eyes were open and I was laughing and crying and just feeling like, oh my God, this is insane. This is like, I'm totally connected and in my heart and loving and present and intelligent and creative. And it, it, so I, so I, I got the sense that, oh my God, it's already here within me. That's what they're saying. That's what this means. Um, and so that's been my, uh, you know, 40 year, how to, how to teach this, how to practice this, how to live this, how to share this, um, um, real experiential way of, of discovering, um, this innate, um, true nature. Interesting. A lot in addition to all your years of uh, your own spiritual uh, uh, path and uh, inquiry, uh, you're also a psychotherapist. That's right. How do you uh, integrate your uh, training as a psychotherapist with all your knowledge and uh, skills in the spiritual realm? And how did that inform your uh, current book? Yes, so that's a great question, yeah, because <clears throat> when I came back, I realized that I, you know, after that experience with Toko Ergen, I realized, okay, so I don't have to join a monastery or live in a cave. <laughs> that just took me three mm -hmm. minutes. And that I'm was sitting, a relief, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that was a relief. <laughs> I was like, all right, but I was, I was ready. I was like, okay, I had caught the bug and felt like, what else am I going to do with my life? And I felt like, let's check this out, these gals and guys who have discovered something that's so, <clears throat> so um, the highest potential of human beings and brings love and, and joy to, to those who write about it. But here it was, so I came back and then realized that it wasn't just waking up, but growing up and healing up that the combination of the spiritual and psychological and some neuroscience really had some other pointers that could help fine-tune and embody the awakening um, in a way that wasn't just um, a detached spiritual ego that was, you know, fully embracing and healing, um, you know, hurt parts or childhood wounds or traumatic um, experiences that I that I saw my colleagues and friends and clients have, um, and so um, 
I was <clears throat> always trying to combine them and found a way to do that and lately have been working with another colleague, uh, Dick Schwartz, who created a system called Internal Family Systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so the primary premise is that the self with a capital S, which is what I'm talking about, um, as the <clears throat> the primary experience of my book, um, you can be effortlessly mindful and loving from that self back to your parts. And in fact, um, myself and and these colleagues find that that with people with complex trauma, with severe childhood histories, it's actually what seems to work best mm-hmm. with them. So strangely, here's this most advanced practice that isn't just reserved for the Olympic athletes of meditation, but it actually can be available to those who would be considered not ready for the first stages of meditation, but it's actually needed and available within all of us and can heal these trunks. Uh, Locke, I have uh, one final question, and yeah. Phil, Phil may have other questions, And uh, but before we wrap it up, I'm going to guess that there's at least one person listening to this interview uh, who this is all new to. Yes, and, uh, okay. Uh, and, and, and then maybe they're making the decision, because I've had people contact us who have said things like this. Hey, I really want to pursue a sp- spirituality now. I'm, I'm in, uh, inspired by this. So we, they have your website. Uh, yes. let's, let's read the book. <clears throat> but in addition yeah. to that, where, where, what would you suggest somebody to somebody who's thinking they want to go down a spiritual path at this point in their life, that they want to pursue spirituality, non-duality? What, 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 what do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I, I tell them that, you know, to trust um, good, good people like yourselves <laughs> that can recommend uh, to find trustworthy people to recommend what's what's worked for them um, and then find both um, reading and audios and live teachers that they can ask questions of. Um, but um, yeah, so find, you know, if you look at my website, you'll see my stuff, but then you'll see, like, people who recommended or endorsed my book, and so any of them, it's almost like little clusters, and there are people from, you know, Hindu, Buddhist, um, and Christian, and other Kabbalic traditions that that um, that are, you know, kind of people of integrity, um, mm-hmm. that are that are teaching these things, yeah. Uh, Locke, um, one of the features of uh, your new book, Effortless Mindfulness, is uh, the use of what you call mindful glimpses. Yes. You uh, tell our listeners what you mean by that and maybe okay. uh, give us an example for that they can explore. Yeah. So, so let's try, I mean, we can try at least one here. Um, and uh, so the unique thing about mindful glimpses is it's, a, it's similar to my experience with uh, that first teacher, Toko Ergen Rinpoche, where the premise is that the awakeness that you're seeking isn't outside of you or in some teacher or some book, that it's actually already installed within you as you. And if the 
kind of small um, pattern of identity can relax, then this awakeness um, can be glimpsed, and then you're glimpsing from it uh, with, with a new view and a new you. So it's, a glimpse isn't a meditation state. It's actually a letting go of effortful states in order to rest in the already awake consciousness that is the foundation of who you are. So, so we can try, so that, that, that premise is that currently the obscuration is this small separate sense of self that creates a feeling of, I think, therefore I am. And many people feel it almost like it's a little mini-me behind your eyes in the middle of your head looking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So literally, mm-hmm. that my question isn't who am I, but where am I, becomes almost <laughs> more the question. So if that little energetic ego pattern or separate sense of self is innocently actually trying to find the solution by, by solving the problem of identity. What am I do? What do I need to do to find happiness? Let me look inside, let me look outside, let me get something. If that problem solver can relax, then your awareness can feel what's still here and where you're aware from, you could have a glimpse in a moment. So here's a simple inquiry that you can try. Just understanding the words are not about letting go of all your worldly problems, but about the problem of identity. So just asking yourself this inquiry, what's here now when there's no problem to solve? Great. Uh, Locke, thank you so very much for coming back on the show. And the, the book again, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, uh, A Revolutionary Guide for Living an Awakened Life. Uh, get the book, read it. Uh, and uh, uh, as Phil mentioned before, this is uh, part two with Locke Kelly. So look in our archives for part one as well. And uh, any final remarks, Locke? Uh, may I just, uh, Rock? I have a feeling you weren't finished with that exercise. <laughs> I was letting letting a few. Oh, moments, okay. But, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, people may be really quick and uh, faster than right. me. Right? If they, I was uh, you say inquiry. You don't mean think about it. No, I mean that at first you're gonna you're gonna think about it. Meaning, you have to understand the words. What's here now? Okay. What is he saying? What's here now? When there's no problem to solve. Okay, I think I understand what that means. Now, can I let go of the problem solver and look and feel with awareness? What's here? What's aware? If I don't go to thought, if there's no problem to solve. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can you can see that if you, you you know you certainly can listen to this recording again and and then hang out a little bit but you may notice that people report there's a relief or a dropping of the chattering mind 
a spacious opening, a kind of feeling of joy or interconnectedness, um, a freedom. You know, there's different different feeling of who you are and where you're aware from that's quite astounding in its um, in its feeling of uh, being a different level of mind. Very good. Um, and we should we apologize to our listeners for the inadequacies of podcast silences <laughs> and um, encourage them to go to Locke's website and read the book where they'll get much more uh, systematic instruction. And I think you have videos and audios yeah. to help them. And we should point out, if you've been listening to this uh, without and haven't noticed, but when we we call Locke Locke, it's not L-O-C-K, it's L-O-C-H. So if you're Googling him, it's L-O-C-H, and Kelly does have a K. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, we should also add the, the website, Locke, L-O-C-H, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, not E-Y, but L-L-Y, dot org, not com, but dot O-R-G, so LockKelly.org. But we'll have it posted up to really make yeah. it simple for everyone. Thanks, Rock. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you. Thank you both. Really enjoyed it.